you open your Bible, please, to Psalm 102? let's open in prayer. Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that you uh, have spoken to us and you have uh, revealed yourself in your word. Uh, We do thank you that uh, we can know you. And our Lord, I do ask that the Holy Spirit would help us uh, to understand uh, your person uh, better tonight. And our Lord, may we be uh, struck Uh, and captivated by the wonder of your person. And please grant to us uh, the grace not only to hear your word, uh, but to apply your word to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, have you ever been told, I don't think you will ever change? You're in a heated discussion and things aren't going well. Uh, Resolutions look highly unlikely. And then the bomb is dropped. You will never change. It's always the same with you. That's not a very nice thing to hear. It's not intended to be a compliment. It's demoralizing. In fact, it's like a bucket of ice cold water being thrown on you because the ability to change is imperative. Often relationships are strained when one or both parties refuse to change. There are toxic traits that need reform, and yet despite many promises, it's never forthcoming. People leave organizations because there's a refusal to change. The practices are outdated and ineffective. Change is often discussed but never implemented, and people leave out of frustration. People can be fired from their job because they refuse to change. They've received the feedback from the boss but refuse to change and hence the boss has no options but to cut ties. For us as Christians, change is important. This is what sanctification is all about, being changed into the image of Christ. And if we don't change, the Lord will not be pleased. So for us as humans, a refusal to change, although not always, is usually a bad thing. And if it was impossible for us to change, that would be terrible. We would not be a good spouse, good parents, a good boss or employee. We would not be a good friend or Christian if we had an incapability of change. And yet when it comes to God... It's vital that he can't change. One of God's attributes is immutability. And one theologian gives this definition. He says, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. And yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Okay, God is unchanging and God is unchangeable. And this is demanded by logic. Okay, think about it. All change must be for the better or the worse. And since God is absolute perfection, he can't get better. And he can't get worse because then he'd cease to be perfect. 
God has no need to grow, no need to develop, meaning change is unnecessary and impossible. Now we must understand that immutability doesn't mean that God is immobile or inactive, nor does it mean that God deals with every situation and every person in the exact same way. Okay, God can bring about his unchanging purposes and keep his unchanging promises in many ways. He can deal with similar situations differently and not contradict his immutability. It's like as a parent. Okay, I need to deal differently with my children because they are all, all very different. Okay, my goal and my purpose is the same, but bringing it to pass will vary. And that's the same with God. But his person, that, that's who he is, that doesn't change. Nor does his purposes and promises. Okay, they are unalterable. So God is unchangeable in his person, in his purposes, and his promises. And although it would be terrible if you couldn't change, and if I couldn't change, it's very good news that God can't change. So let's consider what the Bible has to say about God's immutability and see why it's such good news that God can't change. I want to draw your attention to five different texts that teach us that God can't change. The first text is Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. And uh, this teaches us that God is more unchangeable than even the most perceived permanent realities. And this helps us in our overwhelming struggles. You know, in life, uh, you and I will experience tumultuous times. Okay, we will endure savage storms. When the waves are breaking over us, and it feels like we could drown at any moment. Okay, this is the context of this psalm, immense suffering. You know, it's clear throughout this psalm that times were tough, great were the afflictions. And the psalmist actually laments all that is unfolding. But the troubles of life do not cause him to make shipwreck of his faith. It doesn't drive him into the rocks of unbelief, but they drive him into the arms of his God. Okay, the suffering and overwhelming struggles of the psalmist are viewed through the lens of God's attributes. And we need to do the same thing. Okay, who God is was what got him through the difficulties. Especially the fact that God does not change. Okay, everything else around him was changing for the worst. Everything was falling apart. The waves of affliction were, were ruthless. But even though everything else was changing, God would not. And this was the psalmist's great hope. This was his comfort. This was the anchor that stopped him from being smashed onto the rocks of unbelief. Okay, let's read from verse 25. It says, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Now, the psalmist here confirms that he believes that God created the heaven and the earth. 
And he refers to creation as the work of God's hand. He was personally involved. God is personally responsible for all creation. And this reveals both the power and the control of God, which is comforting. But the primary focus of the psalmist is the unchanging nature of God. And what he does here is he uses creation to illustrate it. And the poetic point is this. Even something that you and I would regard as unchanging, such as the foundations of the earth, even they shall perish. All creation is like an old shirt. Do you have some old clothes at home and they don't come out too often? Probably stored in the bottom drawer somewhere. They come out when you paint. Put some holes in them. They've seen better days. They probably need to be chucked in the bin very soon. That's the idea. Okay, clothing has a very limited use-by date, and that is what the universe is like compared to God. It's like a garment that's getting old, like clothes needs to be changed. Okay, everything around us is changing, and it will be changed except one thing, and that is God. Notice verse 27, but thou art the same. The Lord doesn't grow old doesn't grow weak or tired he doesn't deteriorate like that garment okay, everything else changes everything else eventually wears out but not God he has always been the same and he always will be the same he does not change and this was the unshakable conviction that comforted and strengthened the psalmist as he experienced intense suffering and turmoil. Everything had been turned upside down and inside out, and yet God is still the same. And my friend, in our lives, everything can change, and sometimes it can change very quickly. But our God can never change. And that is the giant rock that we can anchor to in the trials and tribulations of life. All may change, but Jesus never. Okay, this text is used in Hebrews chapter 1 to speak of Jesus. Okay, our God never changes. No matter what happens in this world, it's quite unstable at the moment. No matter what happens in your life, our God never changes. Okay, this is one certainty. In the uncertainty of life. Text number two is Isaiah chapter 40. So please turn there. Isaiah chapter 40. And this is about the comfort and strength brought by the unchanging word of God. And in this portion of scripture, again, the theme is comfort and strength for God's people. And two sources of comfort and strength are presented in this text. One being who God is. In verse 9, there's an exhortation, behold your God. And then the greatness of God is in the spotlight. But before that, the first source of comfort and strength is God's words. And this is spoken of in verses 6 to 8, which says, The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. 
Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Okay, this is speaking of the unchanging nature of God's words. And this is an obvious necessity that comes out of his unchanging person. It would be contradictory if God was immutable in his person, but his word changed. And what the writer does to illustrate the dependability and the durability of God's word is to compare it to mankind. Now, being an agricultural society, an illustration of grass and flowers was one that resonated with the audience. And in verse 6, it's not speaking about our physicality. It's not saying we we are like the grass and the flower physically. Can we quickly wither away? We experience death and decay. That is true. But I believe the writer's primary focus is morally and spiritually. It's focusing on our unreliability. Our faithfulness and dependability, or, or lack thereof, is compared to grass and flowers. Okay, that fits the context, and it also harmonizes with the word translated goodliness in verse 6. Okay, this is the Hebrew word hashed, and it's covenantal language, and it often speaks of covenantal love, but that doesn't fit this context. But the term also speaks of loyalty, of faithfulness, of dependability, and that's the sense in our text. So in this way, man is like grass and flowers. And Isaiah has in mind that the luscious and dense grass on the hills after the winter rain. It, it looks incredible. But very quickly the grass dies off, especially after the hot winds. And the hills are left barren and brown. And the image of flowers is one we're familiar with. They look beautiful, but they quickly die off. And this illustrates how frail and weak mankind is and how often we lack dependability. But that's not the case with God. Okay, the grass will wither, the flower will fade, but God's word will never wither. Okay, it won't fade, it will endure, it won't change, it's perfectly dependable. God's word is unchanging and permanent. Everything that God has said about himself, All of his purposes, all of his promises, none of them have changed. All of the doctrines, all of the theology that God has spoken in the Bible, these are all unchanging. God's word is perfectly dependable. His promise is infallible. And nothing that he has said will change. Have you ever been bitterly disappointed Because someone has not done what they said they would. A promise was made, but not kept. An assurance was given, but it meant nothing. Someone said, I I will always be there for you, but they weren't. Often, we're the victim of unreliable words. But that's never been the case with our God. And it never will be. His word is perfectly permanent and dependable. Okay, there are very few things in this world that don't change, but our Bible is one of them. Praise God that his word is dependable. And my friend, this is why we can build our life 
on the word of God. This is why we can find comfort and strength from it. God's word is unchanging. Text number three is Malachi chapter three, please. This is probably the most famous portion of scripture when it comes to the immutability of God. Malachi chapter three, last book, the Old Testament. And what we see here is that man's unfaithfulness doesn't change God or annul his purposes. Okay, the context of this text is a people who needed to return to the Lord. Okay, they were unfaithful, they were wicked, and hence verse 7 issues the call, return to the Lord. But another central theme of the book of Malachi is that the people were questioning and doubting God. We see in verse 2 of the first chapter, they ask, how have you loved us? Okay, they were doubting God's love. In verse 13 of chapter 1, they were complaining about the sacrifices. They were over it. Lord, this is burdensome. It's it's pointless. Why do we have to do this? And then verse 17 of chapter 2 says, They wearied the Lord with their words. And it mentions that they were questioning God's justice and fairness. They believed that God had changed. So all kinds of charges were being laid against the Lord. That's the context of the verses that I'd like to consider. Okay, Malachi 3, reading from verse 6, says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Okay, here's the sense. The Lord is answering these arrows of accusation that have been fired at him. Okay, that they accuse him of changing, that they accuse the Lord of being unfaithful, of not loving them. But he assures them that he has not, and he does not change. He says, I am the Lord. This is his covenant name. So he's calling his covenant with Israel into focus. And he says, I change not. The sense of the Hebrew verb is, I have not changed and I do not change. Okay, and here's the proof. Israel, here's the proof. You have not been consumed. God's people had been incredibly unfaithful. They had been so wicked. We read of it in verse 7. And yet the Lord had not destroyed them. Have you ever thought about that? The Lord didn't give up on Israel. And that's because he does not change. He will keep his covenants. His immutability ensures that his promises will be kept. And he assures the people. He's like, you know, guys, if I'm the kind of God that you think I am, you wouldn't exist. Okay, if I had have changed like you were saying, I would have wiped you out. Have you ever thought about that point? Okay, if you were responsible for Israel. If I was responsible for Israel, we we would have become very weary of their wickedness and their waywardness, wouldn't we? We would have become impatient with them. We would have given up on them, wiped them out, but not the Lord. Because he is unchanging in his person, in his purposes and his promises. And this means that he is loyal and he is faithful even when his people are not. 
Okay? His treatment of Israel, and by extension, his treatment of us, is not dependent on our faithfulness. And isn't that wonderful news? Okay, we don't earn God's loyalty to us, but it's guaranteed because of who our God is. Our God is faithful because he is unchanging. And God doesn't change even when we are unfaithful. And that's a wonderful reality. You can't change God. I can't change God. You know, as humans, some people can treat us very badly and we change toward them, don't we? But that never happens with God. Even when we mess it all up, even when we sin and sin and sin, God doesn't change in his love for us. And his commitment to us won't change because he doesn't change. It's dependent on him and not us. Text number four is James chapter one, please. James chapter one. And verses 16 to 18. And here we learn God doesn't change even when we doubt and question him. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were so low, things were were so difficult, the suffering so great, that you began to have doubts about Okay, this is the situation that the believers that James wrote to were facing. And it's interesting that James launches into the topic of suffering immediately. It's like, hi guys, James here, and then boom, okay, straight into topic. Okay, verse 2, he starts talking about the trials, the tribulations, and this reveals the centrality of the difficulties in their life. And in these tumultuous times, they began to have doubts. They began to ask some questions about God, that they were finding fault with him. And perhaps you've been there. You know, in this letter, they seem to blame God for the sinful temptations of life. Okay, and James deals with that in the verses before our text. And they also seem to doubt the goodness of God. And this is addressed in verses 16 to 18 which says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Okay, James exhorts them, do not err. Okay, don't, don't be deceived. Don't allow misbelief about God to grab hold. Understand, this is one of Satan's ploys. He still uses it today. He he wants to get us to believe things about God that aren't true or not believe things that are true. And here, they doubted God's goodness. And hence, James assures them of the goodness of God's. He says that every good thing finds its origin in God. All goodness comes from him. And this verse emphasizes that the act of giving is good and the gifts are also good. So anything that can truly be defined as good comes from God. He's the author. He is the source of all good things. 
And this stresses to us that God is infinitely good and that doesn't change. God hadn't stopped being good to the early church despite their difficulties. And that's the point that James goes on to make. He establishes the unchanging nature of God's goodness. He says with God there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Okay, God isn't like the shadows. He is not like the lights that are constantly changing. As one author put it, he said, We earthlings are subject to constantly changing light. The sun rises and our shadows fall long to the west. It stands high at noon, brightening all. And as it sets, our shadows are to the east until they fade to nothingness. Day and night, light perpetually changes. The moon waxes full and wanes to a crescent. Light is reflected and refracted differently moment by moment. But it is not so with the goodness of God. God does not change like shifting shadows. And that's the point that James is making. God is good. God is good all the time. And that is unchanging because his character does not and cannot change. And my friend, God's unchanging goodness, okay, that's the key to spiritual sanity when times are tough. God is always good. And this is James's point, okay, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's about to unfold, God is still good. Sure, you may doubt it, you may not feel it, but rest assured, God is always good. His inability to change guarantees it. Let's go now to text number five, which is Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Here we learn Jesus doesn't change and neither does his message. In case you didn't know, this is actually our church's key verse. And it's a clear and indisputable declaration. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Okay, what a simple and yet marvelous affirmation. Jesus has never and he will never change. No matter what may happen, no matter what changes in this world or in our life, Jesus is always the same. You know, this verse is probably uh, the most famous in this epistle. And yet, what does it mean in in context? Is this just a a standalone verse? Well, that's possible, but I think unlikely. I believe it connects with verse 7. Verse 7 is a commendation of faithful leaders. And it also connects with verse 9, a condemnation of false teachers. And it's sandwiched in between that. So the previous verse speaks of church leaders. Okay, it speaks of the need to respect and honor those who care for you spiritually. Verse 9 is a warning about false teachers and of the danger of being swept away by strange doctrine. So the sense of verse 8 seems to be that Jesus is unchanging, meaning his word, his message hasn't changed. So don't forsake The message that has been faithfully preached to you. Okay, sure, the leaders may change. 
Leaders come, leaders go, but Jesus doesn't change. His gospel doesn't change. So don't go pursuing other doctrine. Don't go pursuing falsehood. Hold fast to Jesus' word. Hold fast to the gospel because that doesn't change. And since Jesus is the same, that means the Christian faith is the same. So don't go pursuing other things. Okay, Jesus Christ has never changed, then hence we can continue to pursue him. Okay, we can build our life on him. He's unchanging. We can live for him. We can love, for, love him just like the generations that have gone before us because he is unchanging. So the Bible is very clear that God can't change. Everything else changes, but God never does. And again, this reminds us that God is so unlike us. Because if we couldn't change, that wouldn't be a positive. But since God is perfect, his immutability is an incredible reality. And one that ought to make a difference in our lives. And here are five practical ways that this should change and govern our lives. Okay, number one. The Bible becomes irrelevant if God can change. Okay, the Bible becomes irrelevant if God can change. Okay, if it's possible for God to change, we couldn't with any great confidence believe the Bible. Because the Bible's God's word, especially what it says about God. Okay, we, we would need to doubt what the Bible reveals about God's person and purposes. Because who's to say that it's still the same? Who's to say that God hasn't changed? Okay, he could have grown. He, he could have developed. He, he may not be as loving as he once was. We couldn't be certain about God. We would also need to question God's moral commandments. Sure, they may have been the case back then. But, but if God is changing... That means his requirements may change, his standards may change. They may adapt to our society. We would also need to question his promises. Because what if he changes his mind? What, what if he changes in a way that now makes it impossible to fulfill his promise? Okay, if God can change, we cannot be confident in his words. But since God cannot change... We can have absolute confidence in what the Bible says about God. Okay, we can know him through the Bible. Likewise, his promises as recorded in the Bible are unchanging and they will be fulfilled. And if you know God's promises, that's a wonderful reality. And it also means that his moral demands as recorded in the Bible are unchanging. Okay, his ethical instructions are not just for the context of the time it was written. Okay, many people today try and explain away God's demands. Okay, explain away his moral requirements. And often people will argue like this. Okay, well, that was for the context. Okay, Paul wrote for the Roman context, not for now. Okay, things are different now. And hence, we, we can marry who we want. We can conduct our marriages in whatever way we want. Case submission and headship, that, that's old school stuff. We don't do that anymore. We, we can raise our kids whatever way we want. 
Okay, you should, no, don't spank them. That, that's old news. Okay, we're, we're better now. We're more developed. Okay, have sex with whoever you want. The Bible is outdated. But my friend, that's not true. Why? Because God is unchanging. His moral will. Okay, understand, God's moral will reveals what he is like. And hence, it's unalterable. It's just as binding today as when it was written. And hence, we cannot... We must not excuse ourselves or give ourselves a leave pass from obeying God's commandments saying, well, hey, that was only for that time. Okay, it's changed. No, my friend, all of God's word is unchanging. And that includes his moral commandments. They are just as binding on us today as when they were written because God doesn't change. Number two, God's disposition toward us is unchanging. If you're a Christian, God loves you unconditionally, and that will never change. He views you favorably. He has a kind and gracious disposition towards you, and none of this is dependent on your performance. Okay, God does not only love and delight in you when you measure up. Okay, you don't have to earn his love and grace. But this is unchanging because of God's character. And you don't need to fear that, what, what if God stops loving me tomorrow? Okay, our God doesn't have mood swings like we do. Okay, he doesn't love us one day and then hate us the next. Imagine how terrifying that would be. Okay, you know, I'm just not sure if God's for me today. Okay, I don't know if God loves me today. He did yesterday, but I'm not sure about today. But we never have to worry about that. Because he is settled and he's unchanging in his delight and love toward us. He loves us now and he will love us forever. Number three, God cannot be manipulated. Okay, since God is unchanging, that means he cannot be manipulated by anybody. No one can force his hand. Nobody can make him do something that he doesn't want to do. So this ensures his sovereignty. Okay, and this is a great comfort for us. Satan, he cannot manipulate God. He cannot force him to, to revoke a promise or change his plans. Okay, Satan cannot hold a gun to God's head and, and make him change or, or make his purposes change. Okay, every person can be manipulated. We can all be threatened. We can all be blackmailed. But that can never happen with God. Nobody can do that, and that is an incredible comfort. But we too need to remember that we can't manipulate God. Okay, Lord, I will do this for you if you do this for me. Okay, I'll serve you in this ministry if you give me a husband or wife. I will give you lots of money if you get me this high-paying job. I'll stop this sin if you bless me in this way. Okay, we need to be careful that we don't resort to blackmailing God in our prayers. Okay, you scratch my back and I scratch yours. That's not how it works with God. God's the king. We're the servants. Okay, that's the relationship. We can't manipulate God. Okay, he can't be manipulated because he doesn't change. Number four. God is unchanging even when everything else 
is changing. It's interesting that in context, a lot of the teaching on God's inability to change is suffering. And if this is your situation, remember that no matter how dark it may be, no matter how intense the pain, no matter how much things have changed, God has not. He's still the same. He's still good. He's still in control. His purposes are being brought to pass, even though it may not feel like it. He still loves you. That hasn't changed. And when we endure the trials and troubles of life, we need to know and we need to remember who our God is and believe what the Bible says to be true. Okay, this is what we need to be anchored to in the storms of life. And we can because our God cannot change. And number five, God's plan of salvation is unchanging. You know, in the Bible, God says that we're all created by him, and yet we rebelled against him. We sinned, and when we sinned, we became his enemies. Okay, there's hostility between God and man. But God had a plan. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world. Jesus took on humanity, became fully man, fully God, one person. And he lived that perfect life that we never could. Not once did he sin. Fulfilled God's law perfectly. And he went to the cross. And there at the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He was punished in our place as if he was the sinner, despite never sinning. He died, which was the penalty for our sin. He was buried, but he rose again. And now salvation is possible. If you repent of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. That's God's plan. You can be forgiven. You can be made right with God. The relationship can be restored. You can go to heaven, but only through Jesus Christ. This is God's unchanging plan of salvation. There's only one plan, and it will never change. And we need to come to God on the basis of his plan, for there is no other way. So, my friend, our God cannot change. And that is very good news. As the songwriter said, always the same. Oh, praise his name, Jesus never changes. He is always the same. Praise the Lord that our God never changes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for who you are. And our Lord, we are so grateful uh, that you can't change. We know we can be so fickle. And, you know, our dependability is like the grass. It's like the flower. And uh, yet you're not like that. And uh, we, we are so thankful and grateful uh, for, for who you are and our Lord uh, like we considered this morning may who you are not just be you know an intellectual thing for us uh, but may it uh, thrill us and may it change uh, how we live our lives we ask this in Jesus name and for Jesus sake amen I'd like to invite uh, Jason to lead us in the singing of the final hymn <laughs>